morning, everybody. Good to see you. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord God, I just thank you for this morning. Thank you for uh, this place that we get to meet. We thank you that um, we can come to you and we can tell you how grateful we are and we can tell you how loved we are by you and, and, and how blessed we are by you, God. And we also know that we can come before you and um, lay out our hearts before you, God. Any confusion, any frustration, Lord, we know you listen. And so, uh, God, I just pray that wherever we're at this morning that um, your Holy Spirit would just move freely in this place. God, we want to hear from you this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
Spirit, this morning we thank you so much for your word. God, I pray that we would be receptive to what you have to speak into our lives today. You'd open our ears, open our hearts. And God, we trust you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Good morning again. You can say hi to each other. My turn. Good morning. <laughs> we're, we're a lighter crew today, but it's good to be with you guys. Um, welcome to Paradise Calvary Chapel. For those who are streaming online, it's good to have you with us, or at least watching us. We wish you were here with us, though. Um, I don't think there's anyone new, but if you have any prayer requests, we have connect cards that look like this. They're not just to you know, give us the visitor information about yourself. But if you have a prayer request, um, we'd like to be praying for you. So please just, you can fill one of those out and drop it in one of the tithe boxes or give it to Ricky or myself at the info station, and we'll be praying for you. For those that are streaming online, you can email your prayer request to prayer at paradisecalvary.com, and we will add you to the weekly uh, prayer list. But we do have one request attached to that from our side. Please give us praise reports. Because we want to know, as we're laboring in prayer, how God's working in those situations. So we'd love that follow-up of a praise report as well. Um, we're lighter because there's a church camping trip right now. So everyone's up at Penguich Lake, southern Utah, um, about 80 people. It's been really good, yeah? Zay and I drove down last night to join with you guys this morning. Um, it's, yeah. Please just be praying for people, because I know that um, it's not just a time for leisure. I believe that God really wants to get a hold of some people's hearts on these trips, and as people sharing their testimonies, as there's fellowship, as there's authenticity, and, and maybe people haven't been in fellowship for a really long time, so they're actually ironing, sharpening iron in those times where you're on a boat together, you're fishing together, you're hiking. So. A um, lot of kids, a lot of kids. So they just had service this morning. So I just want to pray for that service, if you guys would um, join with me in that. And then they were going to be praying for us down here. And then we'll also um, pray for our service with Pastor Tommy sharing this morning. So let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are, again, not confined to a singular geographical location, Lord. You are out of this world. You are beyond this world. You spoke this world and creation and everything in it into existence, Lord, with your word. 
And so now, Lord, as we are gathered to be around you, Jesus, we pray, God, that you, the seed of your word that was sown in Utah this morning, in people's hearts, Lord, that it would take root and that it would bear fruit in their lives. We pray for those up there that um, just needed a fresh word from you, a word of encouragement, maybe a, a conviction of just things that they're letting go to the wayside, Lord. I pray, God, that there would be a strengthening of faith. But I also pray that for us here, Lord, in our, in our church fellowship here. I pray, God, that we would receive from your word. I pray, Lord, that you'd use Pastor Tommy as he preaches your word. And, Lord, that it would be, again, a word in season. Prepare our hearts now, Lord. We're not receiving from the words of a man, Lord. We're receiving from your spirit and that Christ might be glorified in our lives and among us. We want to be changed people. We don't want to stay the same. So, Lord, work in our hearts now, we pray. Use this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Tommy. Thanks, John. Good guy. Uh, let me... If you want to turn your Bibles to the Italian prophet, Malachi, Malachi, the Jewish prophet, amen. We're going to be looking at chapter one. You know, Jesus said something to the, I, think, I believe the Samaritan woman in chapter four of, his, of John's gospel, we need to worship in spirit and in truth. To worship in the Spirit is to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth in our worship. And there's no way that we can worship in truth if we deviate from the Word of God. As the Holy Spirit pierces our hearts with the holiness of God as He brings to life, enlightens our hearts, opens up our eyes to see the righteousness of Christ. Man can only go so far in his natural mind as far as worship. He'll put a ceiling on his understanding, but he needs to allow the Holy Spirit to interpret truth. And once the Holy Spirit has all of us in our service to God, as we submit to the Lord, uh, our eyes will be open to wonderful truths in God's word and will continue to grow. The book of Malachi, this generation of Jews is doing the opposite. <laughs> they are moving away from true worship of God. The message is a rebuke of, of this generation, and we're going to learn that when a, when a people start moving away from pure faith in God, all of a sudden they lose understanding of God, they become desensitized to the holiness of God, which leads to being desensitized to sin, and they, they fail to even see their weaknesses, not having the convictions. To, to maintain that spiritual fervor that it's going to take for us to glorify God on a continuous basis. One of the concerns I have during this break, if I can call it a break, there's been a three-month, four-month period. Uh, I just hope my brothers and sisters, we can all crank it up because people are getting a little lax out there uh, concerning this. In fact, some are not even coming back to church because it's more comfortable to put the computer on and all of a sudden we're getting away from what God has really called us to, to be committed to the truth and to be accountable. And so we're going to look at uh, the book of Malachi, and the message would indicate that the original revival 
that began when Ezra and Nehemiah came back, 50 years later, it's starting to deteriorate, and they're going back to their old habits. History seems to suggest that revivals, it almost takes, uh, revivals don't seem to last past the second generation. That seems to be a pattern. And what we're called to do is pick up the torch in every generation and make sure that we are keeping the things of God alive so that we don't go backwards. If we're not going forward in the faith, chances are we're going to be slipping backwards. And so we want to provoke each other in love without a judgmental attitude, but we have to provoke each other and stir each other up and keep the bar high so that we can be faithful and be effective witnesses in testifying to the truth. And so the purpose of the book is to call the people back to repentance with a new commitment to the worship of God. And the uniqueness of the book, it's different from the other prophets. God makes a statement followed by a question that represents the rebellious Jews, followed by an answer by God. And we're going to see how far that this generation is removed from pure worship. In fact, they're asking questions to God. How have we not worshipped you? How have we not honored you? And so it's a sad commentary for a people that have lost their way in the faith. And what's really sad, they don't even realize it. What we're called to do today, what is true in the, in the book of Malachi, is true of a lot of churches today. They've moved away from the purity of the gospel. In fact, some of them, Christ is not even being preached. And if we're going to worship in spirit and truth, we better uphold the person of truth, Jesus Christ. And so today's message is to encourage us. Uh, let's don't get lazy or lethargic on God. We, we've got to find a way to keep ourselves stirred up. And if we just do things God's way and obey his ways and submit to the ways of God, we'll be fine. But sometimes submission uh, can be distorted. But we have to worship in spirit and in truth, and we have to do it corporately too. No greater thing of fellowship when we're in the presence of faithful and committed brothers and sisters. Man, that's just a mutual encouragement within itself. And so the book begins in, in this way, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. <clears throat> I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? One thing that starts to develop when there's a decline in worship, we lose sight of God's love and we really lose sight of his holiness. And all of a sudden now we start interpreting love according to what we think love is all about. You know, the world has their standard of love, but it has nothing to do with the love of God or the love of Jesus Christ at the cross. They have no concept of what it is to love unconditionally and to love uh, self-sacrificing in a self-sacrificing way. The love of the world is based, it's conditioned upon their mentality and it really doesn't include the holiness of God. And so what happens when we stop worshiping God, we lose sight, you know, and we start asking, we start questioning God's love for us. You know, when you go through persecution, you know, it can be very confusing. If we're not mature enough, we might just walk off the path. Because who, the flesh doesn't want to put up with persecution. The flesh is going to gravitate to its comfort zone. 
But when we understand the ways of God, and even when we're going through hardships and hard times, we still never lose sight of God's love and that he's never moved from us. And that his love is expressed by the simple fact that he's found us worthy enough to put us in such an awkward position to testify to him. So the next time you go through hardships, you go through rough times, and, and, and we persevere in a God-honoring way, God's found us worthy enough to be able to go and, and, and go down a path for him. And so God loves us so much, he'll discipline us through hardships. He'll discipline us even through judgment as a whole. And, and, and uh, if we're worshiping, we'll be able to track well with God and understand his ways. And we won't lose sight of his love. We won't lose sight of his holiness. And so it goes on, he says, verse 2 again, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau, and I have made his mountains a desolation and appointed his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. Though Edom says we have been beaten down, but we will return and build up the ruins. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will tear down. And men will call them the wicked territory and the people towards the Lord is indignant forever. And so if you contrast Jacob and Esau, who were brothers, you know, before Jacob was given the promise, God has always held Israel together, even in their judgment even in their punishment. They've been, they were deported, but now they've been regathered. You can't say the same thing about Edom. Edom was not the covenant people. And so Jacob I loved, Israel I love, but Esau I hated. God chose Jacob over Esau. And so uh, God is always going to pick us up in the midst of trials, in the midst of tribulations, and we'll wait on the Lord. And we'll have that inexpressible joy still working in our lives. And we'll realize that God hasn't abandoned us. God is holding us together. That's worshiping God, where we don't worship according to ideal circumstances. We worship God because God is who he says he is. And we are completely convinced in our hearts. That's what drives us. That's why we don't allow circumstances to discourage us and to bring us down. And to walk off the path, Satan will jump all over that. But when we're going through storms, sometimes we just have to put our heads down and keep walking and wait on the Lord. He'll renew our strength according to his promise in Isaiah 40. And so one of the things I, I, I like to quote is Proverbs 24.10. If we falter in times of trouble, how small is our strength? If we're going to fall apart on God because things get a little hard, that's not worship. But a mature Christian knows how to persevere and not depend upon perfect, ideal circumstances surrounding them. They worship God from the bottom of their hearts. And it has nothing to do with what's happening around us. It has to do with a personal relationship with God through the Holy Spirit that he continues to impress upon our hearts, you know, the ways of God in worship. Now, we can either worship God according to the Spirit, or we can worship God according to our standard and our feelings on matters, you know, or according to the flesh. That's why we have to be humble. We should all be broken at the point of salvation. 
And in that brokenness, we're not fighting with God. We're letting God raise us up in the newness of life. That's where we start understanding God through the divine spirit of Jesus Christ in us instead of trying to understand God through our natural minds. Amen. And so he goes on and, and, uh, and then again, the first thing I wanted to say is when we fail to worship God, our understanding of God's truth and love starts to decline. It gets distorted and eventually we get deflated. We find ourselves in a valley. Be careful. Don't stay in that valley. We have a tendency to really isolate ourselves. Satan wants us to isolate ourselves. He doesn't like, he's not crazy about God's children faithfully worshiping the Lord. That's where we have to be careful. But the longer we stay in the valley, the harder it is going to be to crank it up. We've got to just trust God with the simple fundamental practices of the church, of, of the faith. Get back to what we're supposed to be doing. Give God a chance to minister to us. But you know, we don't want to look back. What did Jesus say in Luke 9, the end of chapter 9 of Luke? You know, if you're going to keep looking back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. You know, we can't look back. That's what fellowship does for us. Fellowship helps us to stay focused on the things that are eternal. Okay. One of the concerns I have when I talk about fellowship is that Facebook, the Instagram, everything that's technologically you know, made is taking the place of real fellowship. People are even getting comfortable during this three-month period. I'd rather watch the, the service on, on you know, video or on my internet. And I'm saying there's a place for that. But don't let it replace our commitment to the truth. We need to have live fellowship. We need to be committed. And it doesn't come down to just Sunday morning. We need to be committed throughout the week. I was talking to someone earlier, you know, a professional golfer. What are they doing Monday through Saturday? Monday, let's say Monday through Wednesday. They're on the golf course. What are they doing Thursday through Sunday? They're playing the tournament. You follow? What does a professional Christian do? If we're born-again Christians, we are professional Christians. To say anything less than that, to say that we're non-professional, would be to insult the Holy Spirit who has created a new person in us in Jesus Christ. We are professional Christians. What do we do? We do everything that's pleasing to God. We find a way to go to Bible studies. We're committed. We're preaching the word. We're using every instrument, even Facebook, to preach Christ. That's who we are. Philippians. To, to live is Christ and to die is gain. A lot of people don't even understand what that verse means. My life is Christ. I remember the famous tennis player. Well, they were interviewing him. He lives in town. I forget his name. He was Asian. Michael something. Yeah. Yeah. They were interviewing him. And all of a sudden, he started talking about Jesus. Said, Are you going to talk about Jesus? And he came up with the right answer. My life is Christ. What do you want me to talk about? Football players, what do you think they're talking about? Football. Everything's football. Go to the casinos. What do you think dealers are talking about? I was a dealer at one time. Talking about the players. Who's the best tipper in town? They're talking about their industry. Professional Christians. 
We talk about God. Our life is Christ. That's who we are. Why would we be somewhere else Monday through Friday when our life is Jesus Christ as true, professional, born-again believers? And so <clears throat> we see something that's starting to transpire and the next couple of verses pick it up. Start, you can see they're desensitized to God. That's a horrible thing to be going to church every week. You know how many people go to church every week and they're desensitized to the Holy Spirit? They're desensitized to the holiness of God. The best they can do is talk about a goodness and niceness message and are clueless about the divine righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is crazy. And that's the best they can do. Oh, that was a good message. I've got to be a good boy this week. And it's like, that's not what this is about. We'll be good because we love God. And that'll be the fruit. Goodness will be the fruit of our lives. But something's getting reversed. It's talking about, you know, goodness and niceness and leaving the righteousness of Christ out of the whole equation. All of a sudden, you start getting desensitized to the Spirit of God. Sin's not an issue. You won't have the convictions to deal with sin anymore. It's not a big issue. Ah, that's me. I'm human. You know, God loves me just the way I am without any convictions to change. That's not worship. I get people running around, I go to church on Sunday and that's it. Do you know, I think you just insulted somebody and they don't even know it. That's it? You're satisfied just going to church, doing your little thing? Without ever really mixing it up with God through the Holy Spirit? How sad. That's not worship. That's just a great Sunday churchgoer without walking in the truth. You know, there's a big difference between being a good churchgoer and walking in the truth on a daily basis. A huge difference. They're worlds apart. A Christian comes to church to whet their appetite. This is not where it's at. They want to just continue to whet their appetite so they can give God their best through the power of the Holy Spirit the rest of the week and get hooked up with some godly brothers and sisters. Catch up with them. And continue to remind each other of our wonderful life that we have in Christ and the life that we have waiting for us in heaven. But look at this, chapter 1, verse 6. Well, verse 5 says, Your eyes will see this, and you will say, The Lord be magnified beyond the border of Israel. Listen, God may be mocked, but when it's all said and done, he's going to be honored. He's going to uphold his holiness. Whether man doesn't want to uphold his holiness, whether man wants to mock God, whether man wants to scoff at Jesus Christ, he's going to uphold his holiness. It's going to happen. And yet, so many people today, I mean, they literally hate God. Our young people are being taught to hate God. This is crazy what's going on in our country. And now you see what a reprobate mind does in the streets of America. They riot. They looter. No respect for nothing. That's a godless society. My aunt once worshipped, you know, my, my aunt once challenged me, why do we have to worship God? Because of what's happening in America today. These people have lost their way. They're desensitized to God. They have no respect for God or anything. And then we wonder, why is this going on? Well, keep it up in the universities. 
Keep it up with all these liberal ideas. Just, just keep it up. The media has taken over the mindset of young people. The universities have taken over, and now they're trying to take over the government. Do you know if this doesn't stop, if we don't get revival, do you know where this country's going to be 10 years from now? But forget the country for now. I'm concerned about the church. Where's the church in all this? Are we going to allow ourselves to, to let our God down and just get soft and just take it on the chin? Or are we going to get tougher in the love of God and, and, and get bolder, preach the word and share the love of Christ without compromising the truth or falling into fear? You know what happens when you fail to worship God? You live to impress people more than you want to impress God. This is what's happening as we keep reading what's going on with this generation. We want to impress God if everybody in town hates our guts because we're living in the righteousness of Christ. Amen. As long as God the Father loves us for our unwavering faith. It's a beautiful thing to wake up every day and know that our Father in heaven is in our corner, even if everyone else hates our guts. It's okay. That's, that's consistent with God's word. That is totally consistent with God's word. John chapter 15, if they hated me, Jesus talking to the apostles, they're going to hate you. And it's like, okay, amen. You know, this is great. Rejoice if you're being persecuted. You're probably doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Why? Because darkness hates the light. And when our light is shining, that darkness wants no part of it. And I say amen if darkness feels that way about us. But the Father in heaven loves his children. In Hebrews 11, God says, I am not even ashamed to be called your God. That's a, I think it's 11.16, 11.18. That's huge. You know how many people are ashamed of Jesus Christ today? And here's the father talking about his faithful children who walk in faith every day. You know what he's telling them? I'm not ashamed to be called your God. That's amazing, considering all the people who mock him and are ashamed of him. And yet, for his faithful children, he loves them. God's holding us up. And so he says, but going back to this uh, decline with this generation, verse 6, a son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect, says the Lord of hosts? O priest who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? How, how have we violated your rules? They're clueless. They're breaking direct violations of the law of Moses. I mean, this is a no-brainer. Don't bring an, a blemished animal to the sacrifice table. So what do they do? They bring a blemished animal to the sacrifice table. And they were asking themselves, what am I doing wrong? Do you know how many people are living in sin in the church today? What's wrong? I go to church on Sunday. You know how much sexual immorality is going on in the church? People sleeping together and not even married, and it's all being justified, and coming every week to church in America. 
and not even having a blinking an eyelash or having any kind of conviction to say, this is wrong before God. Whose fault is it? Maybe it's the leadership because they're not preaching the truth anymore. But how sad to be that desensitized to sin. Man, I want the convictions. I want to have the convictions. when I don't even want a white lie to slide by me. I don't want to deceive someone with a deceptive statement, knowing in my heart that I'm actually saying something deceptive. They'll never figure it out, but I know in my heart it's wrong before God. God, forgive me if I don't have the convictions to say no to that kind of deception. That's conviction. I had a brother call me up one time, and, you know, it wasn't his fault. But somebody slept under his roof with their girlfriend. He didn't know it. It was just, you know, it was just innocent. He was overcome with conviction. That's the conviction we need. I, I kind of told him it wasn't your fault. Just, you know, just let him know that in your house you're going to worship God. This is not going to go happen on in my home. That's conviction. Nobody even knew what was going on. Nobody had a clue what was going on except he confessed it to me. And there was really no confession of sin except he wanted some insight. And I said, yeah, you can't help what you don't know, but don't let it happen again. Amen. That's conviction that God wants us to have. That's the conviction the Holy Spirit gives us. You know, at church, we're always on our best behavior, right? Right? Everybody's on their best behavior at church, right? Unless you're a complete fool and you act like an idiot at church. I mean, you've got to be a complete fool. But there are certain environments you're on your best environment. Church is one. Right? Well, why can't we be on our best behavior in the privacy of our lives? What do we need a crowd to be on our best behavior? Huh? We need a crowd to worship God or be on our best behavior? Think about it. We don't need anybody but our love for Jesus Christ. That's all we need. That was proven by Daniel. <laughs> Daniel in chapter 1, that was quite amazing. <laughs> he's, he's over there worried about the dietary laws. And it's like, Daniel, your country's been deported. Throw that away, that religion. Do your thing. And he's like, no, we're still a nation. We're a scattered nation, but we're still a nation. And my personal faith in God and my worship has not changed. I don't like the circumstances, but it hasn't changed. That's worship. We see the Apostle Paul and other great men of faith. They didn't need an audience. They worshiped from the bottom of their hearts. And so a son honors, and yet, uh, verse 7, you are presenting defiled food upon my altar, but you say, how have we defiled you? And that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. You have no problems bringing a blemished animal to the sacrifice table the sacrificing table. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, here's the problem, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? That word governor is talking about the Persian governor, the pagans, because the pagans, they were under Persian rule. Oh, the Persians love feasts. They can have a party for anything, you know, every week. So all of a sudden they're putting on this great feast for the pagan Persian king. Oh, they're going to impress him. They're going to lay out the red carpet. But when it comes to God, they just give him the leftovers of their life. How sad. 
And yet they think they're worshiping God in the way they're supposed to. And so he says, why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Go ahead, offer a three-legged lamb to your, your governor. You know, God says he wants an unblemished lamb. They're offering to God a three-legged lamb, a, a lamb with his eye missing, a lamb that's so old it's ready to roll over and die. They're not bringing the first fruits of their cattle, their livestock, according to the law. Their hearts are being exposed. And so he says, would, you, would he be pleased with you, or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But now, will you not entreat God's favor, that he may be gracious to us? With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Look at this. Look at this rebuke. And I'm telling you, God is saying the same thing to many churches today. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering with you. God is telling this generation, listen, why don't you guys just do me a favor? Put a padlock on the temple door and stop your worship. You're wasting my time. I can't take the hypocrisy. There's one thing about God's patience towards people who struggle with sin and are seeking the truth and still have a fear of God. There's another sin that God has no tolerance for. When you start masquerading as a Christian or as a messenger of God like the Pharisees, and you're running around with this kind of hypocrisy, that one's going to tax God's patience. You could see the tone of Jesus when he was dealing with hypocrites, when Paul dealt with hypocrites. Matthew 23, what did he tell those Pharisees after three years of listening to him? You sons of hell, you vipers, you snakes, you hypocrites. He changed his tone. Why? Now he's dealing with hypocrisy in the name of worship. That is a nasty sin. And when that kind of hypocrisy goes on in churches, that is not good. That'll tax God's patience. But God has a lot of mercy for those that are struggling in their weaknesses. And they, they know it's sin. They're not professing to be Christians. And yet, you know, because of the weakness of the flesh, and they start calling upon the Lord. Yeah. And for us as Christians, sometimes we have our struggles. You know, don't let Satan get in there and say that you're unworthy and God doesn't love you anymore. Just, you know, just keep waiting on the Lord, keep confessing it. You know, have brothers or people you're close to, just pray for me. I'm really struggling in this area. You know, that's fellowship. I want to glorify God. I want to change in this area. Please. How could God not hear the cry of someone? crying out to God to be more like Christ. But those who parade themselves in churches and are clueless about the holiness of God and have hardened their hearts to any kind of counsel or instruction, I tell you what, they're in bad shape. They are in big trouble before God. And some have reached the point of no return. That's why even Stephen called them stiff-necked stiff people before they stoned them. In chapter 7. So the question is, what, you know, what are we doing in church? What are we here for? Huh? Social meeting? Huh? Are we here just to do our Sunday service? Or are we here because we want to hear the word of God? We want to be provoked. I'm always trying to provoke our spirits. If we're born against 
My message is to provoke our regenerated, born-again spirit. The trouble is, most of my messages provoke everybody out the door. You know, that's... that's... It shouldn't be that way. I like to be provoked. I don't want to hear no soft message. I don't want to hear no goodness message. I want to hear someone bringing me face to face with Jesus Christ, challenging me. Got to be an urgency in the sermon. Got to be some kind of challenge in the Word of God. But what we're trying to do is bring each other face to face with our Lord and Savior so He can take care of us and clean us up and help us to persevere and grow. Nobody's going to grow from someone's teachings without a real good relationship with Jesus Christ. All the good teaching in the world is not going to change anybody. It's the Holy Spirit that changes us. And so we bring each other to the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that's in us already. And let the Holy Spirit really bring that wonderful conviction. These guys are living to impress people. One thing, if we're not really growing in worship, we live to impress people. I, when, I, when I first got saved, I was very sensitive, but I did learn that everybody else is sensitive <laughs> in, in the church. But I wanted to please everyone. I wanted to impress people. I was intimidated by suits, you know, people who use $5 words. You know. And then all of a sudden, as you're transitioning and you realize they're just a bunch of sinners, but God is holy. And all of a sudden, you start living to impress God. And you really don't care what people think, you know, as far as your, your right conduct. Because people always criticize Christians who are living faithfully. You don't really care. You know, if you can give them understanding, that's fine. But you really care about what God thinks. You really care about the way you conduct yourself. You don't need a crowd. You just need your love for God. That's all you need. And in the privacy of our house, we could be living alone. (laughs) What you see at church is what you get at home. That's who I am. I worship God. That's beautiful worship. And so, somebody, please shut the door. God's probably saying that to a lot of churches. Why don't you guys just shut the church on Sunday and let all the guys just watch their Sunday football and not have to run home from service, you know, to see it. Being a little sarcastic, but picking on the guys. I don't know if I could watch football anymore, what's going on. I think I'm done with it. Verse 11, from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. Listen, no matter how much man mocks God, no matter how much... Man is scoffing at Jesus Christ. God is going to be honored. Amen. He's going to be honored. My name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense is going to be offered to my name, and a grain offering that is pure for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you are profaning it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled, and as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. You also say, my, how tiresome it is. You know, if we're not worshiping God, we're going to probably get uh, burned out in going to church. I had a woman say to me, I asked her, you go to church anywhere? Ah, I'm burnt out from church. 
Well, if you're not worshiping God in spirit and truth, church will probably burn you out. You'll be doing stuff, they'll use you, and it's like, you know, it's like, is this all it is? You'll get burnt out. But trust me, if we're worshiping spirit and truth, we'll never get burnt out on Jesus Christ. Really. We'll get a little wary sometimes because we're committed to, you know, just helping the church things. But I'm talking about, you know, people get burnt out on church because there's nothing happening in their hearts if they're not worshiping in spirit and in truth. But when you're worshiping in spirit and truth, you want to be able to communicate the wonderful truths of God to others who God has put under you. So you come to church, not to have some kind of mountaintop experience from the sermon, which it's okay if you do. I mean, this is most of us, this is, this is not new. We've probably read Malachi a hundred times. You know, what are we doing? Provoking one another to grow, why? so that we take the place of the teacher and start ministering to younger Christians around us. We have our own disciples. Anyway, let me bring this to an end. Verse 14, but curse be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. Wow. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. You know what God is saying throughout this book? That's, this chapter sets the tone. If I am a great God, then where is my worship? That's basically what he is saying in this book. If I am such a great God, then where is my worship? That's the whole theme of this book. You ever see people running around? I want to be careful with this. But praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And all of a sudden, all these cliches take over. The Lord's in control, and this and that. And I'm, not, I'm okay with them in one context. But, but the question is, are they worshiping God? All of a sudden, we start defining our worship by, you, you know, even coming here. I mean, this is good. The worship was great. I was blessed. I was telling them it's really, it really prepares me for the message, you know. Well, let me tell you, if God doesn't have our hearts, it's only noise before God. It's just noise. But those songs, they have meaning. They speak to us because in our lives, that's who we are. And we have the opportunity to sing praises to God. That's, you know, that's how worship should work when it comes to the musical element. But the essence of worship is, starts with our hearts. And so, I'll leave you with this illustration, okay? <laughs> My father once threw a riddle at me. And he asked me, Son, what has the face of a camel, has two humps like a camel, has the skin of a camel, has the same legs as a camel, but is not a camel? So I gave him about five answers, and then he gave me the answer a picture of a camel. <laughs> so where am I going with that? Are we a picture of a Christian? Or are we the real thing? Well, that's what we have to ask ourselves. Are we a picture of a camel? Or are we a picture of a Christian? Or are we the real thing when it comes to the substance of spirit of worship? And it's all right to challenge ourselves 
And it's all right in love without a judgmental attitude to, 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 to lift each other up. Keep the bar high. I don't want us to be a picture of worship or a picture of a Christian. I want us to really be able to share the joy of the Lord with one another and tell each other what Jesus Christ is doing in our lives. I don't hear those testimonies, you know, during the time of revival in the 80s. Everybody had a testimony. It was, it was beautiful. Man, I was struggling with anger, and I'm telling you, God lifted up. I was struggling with drinking. God lifted it up. I was looking at things I shouldn't have been looking at. God lifted up. Those are the testimonies we need towards one another. And remind each other the power of God and what he can do in our lives. Amen. If I am a great God, where's my worship? Let's give it to him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you again, Lord, for just the, the direction that you give us in our lives. Thank you, Father, that you've given us purpose. And when we serve you, Father, there's such meaning to our lives. Help us to stay focused on the things that are eternal so that we can look beyond the obstacles of life and see the real life that we have in Jesus Christ, Father. Help us to have an eternal perspective to all things. Help us, Father, to be spirit-filled Christians who just have the convictions that allow you to just keep transitioning us and changing us, Father, molding us into the image of Jesus Christ. I just pray for my brothers and sisters here for Calvary Chapel Paradise. Uh, we entrust this church to you, Father. We, we entrust our lives to you, Father. We ask that you would continue to just do a mighty work in our personal hearts and do a mighty work in our corporate worship when we come together. We love you, Father, and we thank you again for this great salvation that you have bestowed upon us. And we pray all this, Father, in the mighty and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Lord God, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for your presence this morning. Just pray that uh, we'd take what you've spoken into our hearts today and we take that with us throughout this week. God, I pray that um, everywhere we go and all that we do, that we would glorify your name, that we would bless you in some way and that people would see you through our actions and through our hearts. So we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>